3: Hello and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Doctor Jay.
2: Hey guys, Doctor Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doctor, researcher.
3: And you may have noticed we missed a week. I'm very sorry. <laughs>
2: Are you? Yeah, yeah. We're sorry. Yeah,
3: it was a yeah. week, Santosh. I have <laughs> had a very,
2: yeah, yeah, very
3: yeah. long week. Yeah. Let's let's get around to what, uh, is, you know. Everyone's been talking about lately, which is, of course, the end of the Olympics.
2: Oh, so we're, uh, we're not doing the the other thing?
3: What other thing could there be to talk about?
2: The, the recent thing, which uh, overshadowed the other horrible two-year thing.
3: Oh, the <laughs> doping in the Olympics. Yeah, oh, really- yeah. let's
2: not even going to address it then so yeah let's let's talk about the crazy ass doping yeah yeah because we yeah. did kind of miss that and to be to be very fair it has absolutely been a month <laughs> a week and everything else like that so actually like the world didn't really get to really sink their teeth into the whole doping stuff especially the science community
3: it's like i'm fascinated by the drugs that people choose to use for performance enhancement i'd like to run faster that yeah. drug helps people with heart failure. I bet if I took it, I could run <laughs> faster too. So, let's go <laughs> let's right, go right. a little bit into this and and for full disclosure, listening audience, I personally am of the opinion that we should just not only allow but actively promote performance enhancing drugs for every sport these people are already freaks of nature let's see how far we can push it
2: these statements have not been verified (laughs) it's
3: it's an opinion it's not like i have any influence on the international olympic committee
2: wouldn't it be wouldn't it be so amazing if like the ioc were some of our biggest fans and they're like guys guys let's get together travel medicine has tossed out another episode yeah Uh, oh (laughs) oh there is something to be said about you know we're aiming for like the greatest parts of human performance right and you know when for instance when we're going for i don't know intellectual greatness or anything else like that like in a normal type of life okay well i have adhd i need to perform you need to take a stimulant okay it's not it's not considered cheating i'm just doing my job so i i don't know if as long as you were able to take the danger out of it josh like you you weren't putting them at too much risk no, oh, maybe?
3: Santosh, I've got a full plan laid out, which, yeah. <laughs> which we have discussed for how to yes. introduce uh, non-stop performance enhancement into not just the Olympics, but most sports. And for those <laughs> of you interested, we can go into it some other time. Oh, yeah. But okay. let's, let's do a brief, a brief history. Um, the oldest recorded incident of doping
2: it was in ancient Egypt.
3: Close, actually. Uh, The original Olympic Games, it is theorized that the Greeks had to compete naked, one, Uh to prevent them from hiding any, you know, enhancing substances, which at that point would have been like herbs and berries. (laughs) You know, hobbit shit. Sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. and also i'm
2: sorry i'm sorry i just got this thing of like frodo baggins just <laughs> tripping off on like pipe weed and just racing through the underbush i'm the fastest of all time
3: yeah so that yeah. so the original greek olympians had to compete nude one to prove they weren't hiding any performance enhancers on their body and two to prove two to prove that they weren't women but the the oldest incident we have of doping in the world of competitive sports in the modern day is 1886 and i think santoshi you had started to tell me about this technically this wasn't really an olympic doping this was more of a a bicycle race uh tour de france
2: yeah yeah this was well it it's a. It was a very typical thing. I, I think you had found one of the components, which was uh, you know the the cardiac drug, right? The um, you know the 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 nitroglycerin, which we're going to talk about. But for the longest time, it was perfectly legal to use as a pick me up, uh, like a little snifter of brandy, like you could toss back a little. Like just,
3: Santosh, you know, it's the eighteen hundreds. You could take a little yeah. snifter of cocaine. Yeah, I mean, they would give it to you for literally. They would give you heroin for a cough.
2: <laughs> All, I yeah, good times, absolutely good times. O- on the buy, opiates do knock coughs so right out. <laughs> the problem is that they also, you know, stymie that little oxygen habit that you also kind of need to live. Oh, we'll talk about
3: mm-hmm. oxygen habits. Yeah, uh, <laughs> okay. we're we're actually going to hop around a few famous doping instances, and although most of them will be. Related to the Olympics, I just yeah. I have to slot in a couple Tour de France ones because they yeah. are very pertinent. So okay, go, for it, go for it. One of the oldest when we're looking back in 1886, Arthur Linton died age 24 Aww. of exhaustion and typhoid a few weeks after placing second in the Bordeaux Paris race. Uh, this is important because there had to be an autopsy to prove that it was typhoid because Arthur Linton's manager was and I love this name. Choppy Warburton
2: <laughs> that's not his real name.
3: And <laughs> Choppy Warburton was already in trouble because he had successfully managed multiple riders, but his success was frequently questioned by claims he drugged his charges. So some of the earliest doping was unintentional or involuntary doping.
2: Oh my god. Okay, cuz he would be getting a cut of the winnings and stuff. So So
3: you're right. You could take oh, yeah. a little pick-me-up of brandy. And okay. you could mix a little nitroglycerin into it. Nitroglycerin was used to stimulate the heart after cardiac attacks. We knew about it then. And was okay. credited with improving rider's breathing.
2: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, you know, you'll, it's a um, vasodilator, right? Mm-hmm. And so it would kind of also increase your pulmonary circulation so that with each breath that you took, you'd be absorbing more oxygen.
3: However, there's a couple things you should know about nitroglycerin that the pharmacological effects of it persist even when it is no longer detectable in the circulation.
2: Right. So as in you have a kind of a hangover effect like it it the the physiological response keeps going on and on even
0: after it's gone, right?
3: Right. And some of that physiological response the most common side effects tend to be headache, dizziness, Lightheadedness, mm-hmm. all things that happen when you've opened up your vessels and, and improved sure. your circulation a little bit too much.
2: Too, right. Okay.
3: You can also get, once you start messing with your circulation and over a, a chronic period, meaning if this has happened not just for one race, but if you've been maybe drugged with nitroglycerin or equivalents for multiple races, you can get tremors, skin rashes, and even hallucinations.
2: Oh, dear. Okay. All right. So now you look like you're... Okay, we're getting a good amount of overlap now with enteric fever or typhoid fever is what you're saying.
3: We are because when you okay. have digestive troubles, tremors, mm-hmm. severe headaches, hallucinations, okay. and neuralgia, Uh huh. Yep. how many of those match up with the symptoms of typhoid?
2: So this is what happens in late stages, right? And this is what actually can kill you. Enteric fever starts out in the intestines. The salmonella can or can't get into the bloodstream. It it doesn't really matter. But what ends up happening over time is that you start to get neurological kind of slow poisoning, The end stage of it is given a horrible name. It's called Coma Vigil, where you become more and more encephalopathic and kind of blah and weak and almost like kind of vegetative until they call it Coma Vigil because you're staring straight up at the sky, kind of unblinking, but still alive. So this is like it's late stage for sure it's not what happens in the early stages of of enteric fever or typhoid fever but it's kind of a bad horrible end game so it can match up pretty closely
3: so another one of choppy warburton's writers also accused <laughs> him of oh, you yeah, should look like a yeah.
2: <laughs> the fact that you say his full name every time is just awesome okay please go ahead
3: i mean he's he's up there in my list of Calling them heroes is probably inaccurate. Yeah. But favorite named historical figures, he's yeah. he's up there with Benjamin Duggar, plant physiologist. Plant physiologist,
2: yeah, absolutely.
3: Um Wharton's cycling managing career kind of fell off. And there were mm-hmm. frequent claims that he drug drives to make him faster. So this was kind of the drug of choice back in the day, brandy mixed with cocaine, nitroglycerin, you know, whatever you can <laughs> find. Sure. And the only reason I bring it up is that Doping the acceptance of drug taking in the Tour de France was so so complete that by nineteen thirty the rule book issued for the Tour de France uh-huh. reminded writers in big bold letters that drugs would not be provided by the organizers
2: <laughs> well, that is a uh that's a bold move, right
3: there. <laughs> just... Imagine opening up your comment <laughs> and being like, "Hey, just so you know, we know you're all drugging, yeah, but we're not yeah. going to provide it. So don't show up yeah. being like, ah, ah, you know, I forgot my, yeah, that, my... That's,
2: the... <laughs> that's that's kind of like the rule. That's kind of <laughs> you know, like listen." Dude, if you forgot your bike at home, I'm not giving you another one, okay? You were supposed to bring your bike. It's the Tour de France. But, like, the same exact thing but with drugs.
3: So based on the fact that in 1930 we were already telling people we're not going to provide you with drugs, when was the first incidence of forbidding doping in the Olympic Uh, Games? Like, when did it finally, finally become illegal?
2: Illegal. Um. Okay, so I, I, I shared with you about the 1904 Summer Olympic Marathon, where one of the top winners, I don't know if he was like number one, two, three, or four, but they, you know, like, secured a spot and was fine. And he had used uh, rat poison,
3: strychnine.
2: <laughs> Mixed
3: with- I'm not familiar a- with its performance enhancing properties, but sure.
2: Sure, I don't know what it is either. I think it was supposed to be kind of painkiller or something (laughs) weird. So nineteen that was the nineteen hundreds. I'm gonna actually guess that okay, after World War II, so like nineteen forty-six or something like that.
3: That's adorable.
2: (laughs) No, they would have addressed it by now because
3: Drug testing at the Olympics began in nineteen (laughs) sixty-eight. (laughs) you liar no way there's some even more impressive numbers like
2: my (laughs) it's like our parents watched drugged up olympics
3: right think of what (laughs) we've been missing out on Um, the only the only olympic death linked to athletic drug use right and part of the reason for the drug testing occurred at the rome games of 1960 okay. so eight years before they started testing for drugs they okay, the okay. only death that they've linked to drug use occurred now i'm going to tell you the story and i'm going to tell you why well, well, i i don't think it's a legitimate yeah. drug associated athletic death
2: well no no but i mean aside from that because we weren't even testing before like Isn't it fair to say there were probably others that we just just didn't
3: know? It's important to the history. So we've talked about your 1904 race, things like that. But during the cycling road race in the Rome Games, Danish cyclist Nude Inamark Jensen fell from his bicycle and died. Now, a quick casual glance of the headlines will say he was supposedly found under the influence of amphetamine. Which caused him to lose consciousness during the race. Okay. But let's look at the facts. The time trial road race was held in forty degrees Celsius or 104 degrees Fahrenheit heat.
2: Okay. Oh my god. Oh my god. That's one, awful.
3: One of the one member of the four-man team, Jorgen B. Jorgensen, <laughs> dropped out of the race That's due to sun. His
2: name. Yeah.
3: dropped out of the race due to sunstroke, heatstroke after the first lap, which meant that all three of the remaining cyclists had to finish the race or else be disqualified.
2: Sure. Okay. Gotcha.
3: Oh, so meaning
2: that if there's less than X number, then you can't medal anybody, or,
3: or you can't like- even compete. Yeah, you won't uh, even be qualified uh, to compete. Gotcha. So, so our cyclist Jensen was telling people, I feel a little dizzy. So one of his teammates clutched his jersey on one side. The okay. other held him from the other side, sprayed him with a little water, leading to some improvement. But when he let go, he collapsed, fractured his skull on the pavement, still not seeing oh. the drug influence, was brought by ambulance to a military tent near the finish line, okay. temperatures inside the tent, about 50 degrees Celsius, 122 Fahrenheit.
2: <laughs> oh, because there's no air moving through and the tent is basically just trapping all of the heat.
3: While being investigated after he died without regaining consciousness. So, sorry. Oh, uh, but the team's yes. trainer, the team's trainer told government investigators who came after him that he had given Jensen and some of the other cyclists a drug called Roniacol, which was a nicotine alcohol. Or a vasodilator.
2: So it's an alcohol kind of derived from, okay, okay, got it. Yeah. Um,
3: So when they did the autopsy, the three Italian physicians who performed the autopsy submitted initially a final report saying his death was caused by heat stroke. No drugs were found in his body. The complete autopsy report was never made public. Still not public, (laughs) by the way.
2: Try (laughs) Okay. One
3: of the doctors who conducted the autopsy 10 years later claimed they had found traces of several things, including amphetamine. His death led the International Olympic Committee to first form a medical committee in 1961 and then institute drug testing at the 1968 Winter and Summer Olympics.
2: Okay. So that's
3: why. So it's not even that this guy, you really, I I still don't think amphetamine can be traced to his death. I think heat stroke and a cracked skull had a lot more to do with it. But this was such a big deal that they're like, we need to form an Olympic medical committee and we need to start drug testing. So this kind of stuff doesn't happen. So let's talk about the very first Olympic athlete to test positive for the use of performance enhancing drugs.
2: (laughs) Okay. Okay. And I mean, this is, like, at this point, they would have to be defined, right? Like, they they have to have a rule book or something saying, like, this is a performance enhancer
3: if we find it type of thing. Well, you know, the first year is always a little tricky. <laughs> it's
2: uh, uh, We're in an experimental, like, hey, let's give this a try phase.
3: Yeah, so okay. so the very first athlete to, to essentially be disqualified for the use of performance-enhancing drugs was Hans Gunner Liljenwal, a okay. Swedish pentathlete. Okay lost his bronze medal, uh, the only athlete to test positive for a banned substance at the 1968 Olympics, out of all of them. The banned substance was alcohol, and he had two beers to steady his nerves before his rifle shooting event.
2: Oh, okay. Oh, there is shooting in in Summer Olympics. Okay, because the other one, I was going to guess – rather than the the rifle or the the alcohol was actually a um we don't think about it as a as a performance enhancer normally but like a beta blocker so you know like a something to slow down your heart
3: well let's let's jump up to the modern day now so now that you know the very first one ever banned sure and the reason for it okay so drug testing began at the olympics in 1968 Okay. and At least as of the 2020 summer games in Tokyo, we won't talk about the 2022 just yet. Okay. As of the 2020 games in Tokyo, there have been a total of 442 positive doping tests, resulting in the loss of 173 medals.
2: Oh, okay. Over
3: over the last 52 years. It wasn't all like just in Japan.
2: No, no. (laughs) That would be, well... I wouldn't be horribly surprised, but okay. Well well yeah, you wanted some sure.
3: current you wanted some current events. Yes. The athletes who have most often tested positive of those four hundred and forty two doping tests.
2: Yeah.
3: Russians. Okay. <laughs> because Russians overall uh-huh. have a hundred and thirty three positive doping results. Okay. And have had the most medals stripped from athletes at a total of sixty-three medals: seventeen gold, thirty-four silver, twelve bronze. Okay. Uh, so usually, oh, if somebody's doping, they're Russian. Yeah. Not always, but Not- it's <laughs> if you're trying to guess, and someone's doping, they're Russian. And okay. the most positive tests for drugs are found in athletics, track and field. So okay, okay. Regardless of country, one hundred and seventy-two of the four hundred some odd tests. Have been in track and field and 59 of the medals. Okay? Got it. Okay. okay. So that's that's how we got to kind of where we are today. If somebody's cheating by drugs, it's probably a Russian and it's probably okay. in track and field. Got it. But remember how I said they didn't start drug testing until 1968. Now there okay. is a board for the Olympics, the World Anti Doping Agency. Yes. Who is responsible for enforcing some of these anti-doping rules. Uh, you want to take a guess as to when they were formed?
2: I mean, it should be at the same time, right? Like you're testing and you're saying that this is illegal. So like, what, 1968, 72, maybe? Oh, can Can I get one little hint? Um, were you or, or I alive? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um,
3: 1984.
2: 1999. No way! <laughs> Whoa, like Gen X, it already happened.
3: <laughs> the World Anti-Doping Agency was not formed until 1999.
2: <laughs> we Okay, so this kind of goes along with your theory and idea of everything, because it doesn't even sound like we genuinely gave a crap. Like it sounds like we were doing a whole lot of lip service for a while just to make it seem like uh oh yeah, we really care about drugs. <laughs> no, no,
1: no,
3: no, no. The the IOC took a took the initiative in a very organized battle against doping because we had had the whole dare thing. That was in oh, our early childhood.
2: Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, we all love
3: and yeah. And uh <laughs> Yeah, so World Anti-Doping Agency formed in 1999 Mm -hmm. and came up with a list of banned substances. So now let's get in to the real meat of the episode. The list is divided into substances and methods that are prohibited at all times or prohibited only in competition. In competition, for those of you who are Olympic uh, geeks, is the period starting at 11.59 p.m. on the day before competition in which the athlete is scheduled to participate through the end of the competition and the sample collection process. Okay? Substances banned at all times, and we'll go through the different categories, but substances banned at all times with a little bit of extenuating circumstances for medical reasons are hormones, anabolics, EPO, beta-2 agonists, anything determined to be a masking agent, and we'll get to that, and diuretics. Substances prohibited only in competition, meaning you could take them all you like as long as you're not actively doing a sport, are stimulants, marijuana, narcotics, mm-hmm. and steroids. Oh. Well, glucocorticosteroids, not anabolic steroids. Not
2: anabolic. Okay. Oh, sorry. The glucocorticoids. So, for instance, like if you have um, uh, a, uh, what do you call it, like a rheumatologic disorder, you can take your steroids, like your prednisone.
3: But not in competition. Oh, okay. So you have to
2: um, stock up or something like that before. Okay, got it, got it.
3: Now, because people are very clever about drugs and drug invention and drug use, it's important to remember that just because a substance that is na- is named on the prohibited list does not mean that that is an exhaustive list. Even if it's not sure. named, a substance and a method can be deemed prohibited if... One, it's not currently approved by any government regulatory authority for a human therapeutic use. So preclinical, clinical, clinical designer drugs, substances approved only for veterinary use, or it has a similar chemical structure to an existing banned substance.
2: And I'm guessing similar, like, they get to define that.
3: Yeah, well, yeah. It It can be added if it meets two of the following three criteria. It has the potential to enhance... Sports performance use of the substance or method represents an actual or potential health risk to the athlete, and use of the substance or method violates the spirit of the sport.
2: Okay, so there is a little bit of subjectivity introduced into here. It isn't cut and dry, objective type of testing.
3: Yeah. So here's the whole. Without going into every individual substance, here's the general categories, and then we'll start talking about some of them. Okay. Uh, that people may be familiar with or not. So there's just non-approved substances. They're not necessarily performance enhancers, but you just can't take them.
2: Sure, okay.
3: There are anabolic agents. So those are used primarily, we see them in a lot of weightlifting competitions, bodybuilding, sometimes in wrestling, but anything where you have to be like very buff and swole. Sure, got
2: it, okay.
3: Peptide hormones, growth factors and mimetics to that effect. So anything that's going to give you an extra boost of something. So not long-term muscle building like anabolic agents, but growth factors.
2: Uh, We do use some of these, for instance, Josh in, um, you know, insulin, like growth factor for instance, Mm -hmm. um, which is not growth hormone specific, but it's, it's almost kind of their fibroblast growth factors. Um, And and I'm guessing on the flip side, inhibitors of the same.
3: Yeah. Well, okay. So that's, so category two is peptide hormones or protein based hormones and growth factors. Okay. Category three is beta two agonists. Uh, Those are like,
2: oh no, but that's like asthma medication.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it is. And we'll get to that.
0: Okay, Uh, Okay.
3: Category four. Hormone and metabolic modulators. So you can't take hormones and you can't take things that regulate hormones. Those had to be put into two separate specific categories because humans are very good at finding loopholes. Gotcha. Uh, Okay. Diuretics and masking agents. So Uh, those are
2: all. Oh, so the the fake you out medications. Okay, got it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So
3: those are kind of the broad categories banned at all times. Then you have ones banned only in competition. Meaning if you want to take them for everything up until the day before, the day of, and the collection period, you can use these. But outside okay. of that, is fine. Stimulants are banned in competition. All narcotics mm-hmm. are banned in competition.
1: So you so can see where some of these... And-
3: yeah, so some of these aren't necessarily performance enhancers. They just don't want somebody working that hard to get to the Olympics and showing up stoned out of their mind. It's not going it, to be it. it's not going to be in the spirit of the sport.
2: <laughs> not stoned out of your mind. I'm guessing here we're talking about painkillers, right? So something where a person would be able to do whatever they needed to do. So if it was lift something super heavy or throw something or run fast, even if they had a bad tear or a broken bone or something like that and be able to quote unquote run through the pain.
3: So stimulants, narcotics, cannabinoids, and glucocorticoids are okay. all banned in competition.
2: How does weed? <laughs>
3: How? It is. It's an anti-anxiolytic similar uh- to uh, the alcohol through a yeah, similar to alcohol similar in to propanolol which we'll get to um Mm. it's a it's a calming agent and there are certain sports where being calm gives you a competitive edge then you get to ones that are a little bit more modern
0: okay and had
3: to be added on which aren't drugs necessarily you've got m1 manipulation of blood and blood components which sounds so metal
0: Sure, sure, sure. I'm
3: going to just manipulate blood for the Olympics. Then you have chemical and physical manipulation. Okay, gotcha. One of the newest categories, uh, category M3, gene doping, genetic doping. So there's your CRISPR.
2: There, yes. Okay, so actually, and by the way, we, I guess maybe even three, four, five years ago, this would have been completely theoretical. We're there. You can do you know, transfection of genes in vivo now. It's it's pretty crazy.
3: Now let's get into some examples of these of these kinds of drugs and, and why they do. Now that we've talked about, you know, the first guy who lost his medal for drinking two beers back in 1968. <laughs> okay. um, sure. okay. Why are some of these banned substances? Well, let's talk about a couple of them. Uh, diuretics and masking agents. In the world of sports doping, Diuretics are usually used to mask or hide the presence of other drugs. So diuretics probably aren't giving you a real performance enhancement unless you're a horse (laughs) or or a boxer or somebody who needs to hit very specific weight requirements. Right. For your yeah. sport or if losing a lot of water weight. So I, I know it sounds silly, but uh, horses frequently dope with diuretics. In fact, one of my favorite things to teach my med students is uh, a very well-known drug by lots of people is known as Lasix, furosemide. Do oh, you know yeah. why it's called Lasix? Because it lasts six hours. Oh. It, and it will make you piss like a racehorse.
2: Yeah.
3: <laughs> there's a reason that's a phrase because okay, race gotcha. horses would often be given diuretics to make themselves lose a ton of water weight and potentially even dehydrate them before jockey races allowing them to run faster so don again okay. yeah this works just as well for humans who aren't horses but we have been known on occasion to take horse medicine for various things. Yeah. So <laughs> uh-huh. so the ability of diuretics to provoke massive amounts of urine may be useful for diluting the presence of other performance-enhancing drugs that are tested for in the urine. One of the ways WADA decided to get around this is looking into performing more hair and fat cell tests. Uh, so you oh, can cannot- okay. Mask, but there are still a lot of drugs that are excreted by the kidneys, and athletes, even if they take small amounts of those, may take massive amounts of diuretics in that six hour period to urinate out and get a clean sample
2: Got it, got it, okay, so you have to get a little bit more invasive, you know you can't just grab uh you know a hair or urine or something like that. you're gonna either have to take cells out of a body or blood. I, I got you. I got you. Okay. Or no. I guess the, the hair is still like plucking the hair and getting the follicle.
3: Yeah. Now, interestingly, I would, so these are banned across all sports, but interestingly, only some drugs are performance enhancers for some sports. Like you wouldn't want to be say like the bobsled and taking a diuretic. Okay. It's just not going to do anything for you. You'll, you'll have to massively yeah. <laughs> pee and be like, just get me down this
2: mountain. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just like you said, It's great for actually losing weight. So I'm sure it's been used, meaning that like, okay, a person who's boxing at a particular weight needs to get on the scale when they do their official weigh in. So you lose a bunch of water, you know, you can either do it organically, meaning you sweat it out, right? You starve yourself or you use like Lasix, but for actually like performing well in a sport, you're not going to want LASIK on board.
3: <laughs> well, imagine two boxers: a heavyweight and a middleweight. But uh-huh. the heavyweight ordinarily wouldn't be allowed to fight the middleweight. They're two different classes.
2: Oh, right, right, right. But he but they, get, under- to the weigh-in, but they yeah. get to the weigh in.
3: But they get to the weigh in, and the heavyweight still has all that muscle. But now he's gotten rid of a whole bunch of poundage that was water. He's dehydrated himself, okay. and now he's packing a much stronger punch and can fight essentially below his competition class, giving him a performative edge. So diuretics right. still can be used. Sure, but sure. But sure. in that sense, you know, he is, he is putting his health at risk to fight in a more advantageous situation. So that's one yeah, example. Yes. Then you get, so that's diuretics. Those are masking agents. Then you get to calming agents. We talked about cannabinoids, which are banned in competition. But let's talk about propanolol, which is a drug that's a beta blocker. I know I said beta agonists are banned. Let's talk about beta blockers first. Gotcha,
2: gotcha. And so, this, one, this one, we're going to like slow down some tremors and shakes and that kind of thing.
3: Yeah, so propanolol is a drug that interferes with the reaction of nerve impulses inside the body, especially in the heart. It causes the heart to beat slower. It decreases blood pressure. It calms the symptoms of anxiety. That's okay. a big one. It's often given to people uh, in low doses who have a fear of public speaking, even if they've got nothing wrong with their blood pressure or heart rate.
2: Right, right. Okay.
3: Similarly, even though you'll see a lot of drugs that end in that olol used for the heart, metoprolol, carvedilol, mm-hmm. propanolol really isn't used for the heart itself anymore. It doesn't have enough of a medical effect to mm-hmm. be useful as a heart-exclusive medication, but for an anxiety medication to calm the heart rate, it's wonderful.
2: Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, gotcha, gotcha.
3: Now, there are sports where having anxiety-reducing effects such as steadier hands and even heart rate and the increased ability to focus would provide, again, a performative or competitive edge. This was a real fun thing for me to start looking up. Like, what are drugs that I give to people every day or medications I see every day? How are they used to cheat or give advantages? So propanolol and all other beta blockers were banned by the world's doping agency for all sports, but specifically archery, gymnastics, shooting, and golf.
2: Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So these are all precision sports where you need to be able to hold real steady, focus, execute. So, you know, you either fire your arrow or, you know, shoot your shot, and then, you know, you wouldn't be shaking during that time. So it Instead of you using your own natural ability and practice and everything to hold your hands steady, you're allowing the, uh, the chemistry to do it for you kind of thing.
3: Yeah. It's, you know, it's like falling. You can fall with gravity. You can dive off something and then you still have gravity, but a little bit of extra oomph. (laughs) Got
2: it. Got it. Okay. Gotcha.
3: So propanolol, a drug that nobody is out there abusing. In every modern day life. Like, no one's getting high off propanolol. Just doesn't okay. happen. But it's a banned drug because it can improve your ability to focus and give you steadier hands. This is why, again, this is why I'm like, so what? Like, I get it. I get that we're against doping. But this okay, is why yeah. I personally am of the opinion, like, let's just let these freaks of nature do whatever will push them to the limits of human performance. <laughs> Sure. Sure. Right. Okay. okay. Because all these Olympic athletes are going to have pretty steady hands. How much is really being added by that? Well, that's the question. Um, (laughs) What about weightlifting? Let's look at anabolic steroids.
2: Sure. Okay. Okay. So this is wanting to build up power and muscle ahead of time. And then probably you're going to tell us about some things that they could use, like at the moment of the actual lift as well. Yeah.
3: So Santos, how how do steroids, how do anabolic steroids actively work on the body?
2: Oh, I wish I remember this. This is all the way back from not even medical school, right? This is, we we learned some of this in high school at college at some of these drug classes. But essentially- these are stress hormones or analogs of stress hormones, which uh, they they actually change how your cells transcribe genes and, and upregulate certain genes that cause hypertrophy and buildup of proteins, so that your muscles, like the actual individual, the muscles get bigger, right? But I can't remember why that particular side effect is there. I think, sorry, it does act in a negative feedback loop to not stimulate growth of your normal steroid-producing organs. So in men, the testicles, actually. So then your, your glands that actually normally produce those hormones shrink and die away. So... Because these are also stress hormones, uh, aside from the muscle building, all kind of thing, you're also going to have psychological issues with this, which is the horrible downside, right? Aggression, mood swings, this kind of a thing.
3: I'm going to read to you a couple things from a booklet I found, anabolic steroids, roid, slop, juice, sauce, and how to use it.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is rather than like a, a pure... Kind of education, presumably,
3: kind of thing. for I, I don't even know why this exists. I really don't. <laughs> I wish I had a good explanation for you. It's just something I found on the internet, and I'm like, well, all this information is true, but it's being presented in a very odd way. Like, okay. here's how you can do this, not you shouldn't do this right, uh, right okay. so steroid the reason steroids are used is you're right they encourage muscle cells to grow so they increase strength and muscle mass they increase okay. the overall bulk of your muscles as well as their mass
0: Oh. while okay, doing okay.
3: that they decrease your body fat so they increase your muscle to fat, fat ratio, ratio
2: okay got it
3: which allows you to get even more performance out of the stronger muscles and they increase your energy uh Largely by promoting a little bit of that fight or flight system, not quite the full-on panic adrenaline you need to fight, but it gives you. It works on some of the same pathways to give you an increase in energy. And anyone who's ever been on just prednisone can tell you, you're you're amped up. It's like being on caffeine. Sure. Caffeine right, on right. steroids. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
2: but it's also, I think a lot of people say not just amped up, but also irritated, upset kind of that that kind of angry kind of feeling all the time as well.
3: Yeah. Now, they're meant to be used when they are used for a 6 to 8 week period with an equally long break of time from using if you're trying to like build up.
2: You have to do a time on time off type of thing.
3: Right. Okay, got it. Got it. So, uh, I'm guessing this is from like a bodybuilder <laughs> handbook. <laughs> Yeah,
2: this is it's one of those,
3: you know, no. no, no you know, know, I, you know lie. this is 100% from a bodybuilder scrolling down 100% yeah. from a bodybuilding handbook, because they're like, don't inject into your deltoid. It's not the best site, you have smaller muscles and multiple injections can result in abscesses and pain. So the side effects are increased blood pressure, because all those muscles are not only pressing on the vessels, but they're requiring more oxygen, more work by the heart. So you have increased heart work. Uh, increased blood pressure, often acne and hair loss, because when you're taking steroids for that long, you are falsely synthesizing puberty. Because when else do you get a huge rush of steroids? At your bar and bat mitzvahs! Lahayam <laughs> <L'chaim.
2: laughs> Sure, going through adolescence. Fun times, fun times for all. Yeah.
3: As you mentioned, aggression and violence, such as roid rage, mood swings, decreased sex drive, depression and anxiety... Uh, specifically in males, you can get breast development, which once it's happened is irreversible. And that doesn't mean you're going to like a full D cup, but there's definitely some rounding.
2: Okay. Um,
3: You get an increased size of the prostate. So you'll start having more issues with uh, urinating and heart complications. Females get an enlarged clitoris, thickening of skin and deepening of voice. So again, you have puberty, but for the opposite gender than what you started as
2: it's kind of you're basically stimulating kind of that androgen type of pathway you're making a pretty huge sacrifice in order to you know go after that gold medal if it works
3: by the way well when you're going for the gold if you're using steroids the most common anabolic steroid that has shown up with 65 doping tests just by itself and in cocktails for another thirty-five positive tests, so four hundred and forty-two positive doping tests, a hundred and ten of them just this steroid, turinabol. Turinabol,
2: Tur- 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 okay. Uh
3: okay. That drug alone resulted in the loss of fifty-four medals. A lot of them were Russian, but <laughs> but before the Russians, there was another country that used to systematically. Use steroids and doping programs until the fall of the Berlin Wall. East Germany had a countrywide program to pump up swimmers and tennis players with steroids.
2: Swimmers, swimmers, and tennis
3: players, as well as weightlifters. But apparently, they wanted some, they wanted, you know, the Germans wanted to hit a tennis ball and have it like go through another human. <laughs>
2: Oh, okay. I guess that's such a weird use of it. Like, that's not even like a hard, rough kind of sport, but okay.
3: But it is one where being able to have rapid response times, so the muscles in your feet allowing quick movement about the court, rapid changes in direction, and the ability to powerfully hit a ball would all, again, give you performance enhancement.
2: Uh, Got it. Okay. So it, it would still have the same kind of effects that you would quote unquote want.
3: Right. So you're right. bulking up muscles, but the muscle groups you're using are different than in, say, traditional weightlifting.
2: Got it. Okay. Um,
3: so for the last Olympic one we're going to go into, let's talk about trimetazidine. This, of course, is the one that sort of closed out the Olympics that everyone was talking about until, you know, other stuff took its place. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to actually go back to 2014 first. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, Santosh, I almost forgot to tell you about beta agonists, because we talked about antagonists and yes, proclanolol yes. and what they would do.
2: Right, right.
3: But so, we yeah, be-
2: beta agonists would be important to talk about because we that might be a life-saving medication for an asthmatic. So you're saying that like, a, an asthmatic can't have a rescue inhaler?
3: Well... I'm going to briefly take you back to 1972 in Munich. Okay. 16-year-old Rick DeMont had qualified to represent the United States and originally won the gold medal in the 400-meter freestyle, but he was then disqualified when his post-race urine test was positive for the banned substance ephedrine, which was contained in his prescription asthma medication.
2: Got it. Okay. All right. Okay.
3: And most... Asthma medications, very few are pure beta agonists. A lot of them are beta agonists meant to dilate or enhance your blood vessels. but
2: And your, oh, uh, more importantly, your, your uh, airways. So am actually... sorry, your airway,
3: not yeah. your blood vessels, my mistake. Uh, meant to dilate and enhance your airways, allowing mm-hmm. more oxygen to come in, which you can imagine might help you if you're a swimmer sure. or, or even a runner.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and often combined with inhaled corticosteroids. And what are our banned substances? Glucocorticoids. Got <laughs> it. And okay. steroids in general. So something that gives you, opens up your airways, allowing you to breathe more easily, and even has trace amounts of steroids. You're probably not inhaling asthma medications for six weeks to bulk up. But sure. is there a statistically noticeable effect from the steroids and amphetamines contained in many breathing medications? Maybe. Enough for the IOC to ban it.
2: (laughs) But I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, they do allow like up to certain doses. And again,
3: that's where this this in-competition or medical disclosure forms ahead of time.
2: Got it. Okay. So well-documented, like you really have to show that you're, you're not trying to be a dick about this, that, Hey, I really, I could stop breathing if you don't let me use this. (laughs) Okay.
3: Okay. Um, But now let's go back to trimetazidine. We're going to go back to 2014 when the first time somebody was detected, tested positive for this drug. And that was Chinese Olympic swimmer Sun Yang and the drug had just been banned only four months earlier, and his doctor Sun Yang and his doctor were not made aware of the changes to the use of the drug for which he was prescribed, and he was then banned by the Chinese Swimming Association for three months. So he was using it medically. Oh, okay, okay. What does it do? Trimetazidine is an agent that is meant to help angina attacks. Oh, uh, uh, so pardon, it's a yeah, European. Yeah. It's a European medication. For increased blood flow efficiency and improved endurance, which okay. are great if you have heart failure, but also yeah. pretty good if you are in any kind of high-end athletic performance.
2: Sure, sure, okay. <laughs> I uh,
3: got it. By the way, doctors used to prescribe it for tinnitus, vertigo, and visual field disturbances, but it's under the category of hormone and metabolic modulators.
2: Oh, I see. So it falls in a no-no category.
3: Now, interestingly, they interviewed, following the incidents of this, this figure skater being on it, they talked to the director of the cardiovascular performance program at Massachusetts General Hospital and said, you know, how in the world does a heart failure drug, an angina drug, affect figure skating? These are not humongous sure. people. <laughs> they are already moving pretty fast. It's not an oxygen issue. It's not a reaction time issue. So he's saying, in theory, it could, in, it could aid endurance athletes who have to generate a high cardiac output, such as cyclists, rowers, and long-distance runners. But it would be very unlikely to have a direct impact on a figure skater's performance when there's simply not a lot of demand on the heart.
2: Okay, gotcha, gotcha.
3: So when this 15-year-old is claiming, you know, ooh, I got it mixed up with my grandfather's medication, it's a mixed bag. Because on the one hand, (laughs) it's probably not providing any real performance enhancement in figure skating. On the other, there are sports it can provide an enhancement in, therefore it is permaband. And it is also equally unlikely that a 15-year-old in the olympics is going to just accidentally trip and fall onto a bottle of pills that coincidentally also enhance performance (laughs) okay got it so yeah uh,
2: yeah (laughs) okay all right i give
3: (laughs) um so there we are. So really, a lot of these drugs are meant they are A lot of them are cardiac drugs meant to improve mm-hmm. cardiac output and therefore increase endurance. A okay. lot of others are steroids meant to build up the muscles. So less endurance and more increased strength and power. And Got that it. third category, so you know, the third category we talked about improves focus, calms the nerves. That's good for sports where you have to have a steady hand things like that. And then there's just the miscellaneous that falls into, well, we haven't discovered how a certain drug affects performance yet. So we're just going to set it up in a fourth category to kind of ban. So those are your four sort of active, always banned categories.
2: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so now the next category is going to be, or that we talk about a little bit is the, well, you can sometimes, but not all the time type of thing.
3: Right. And that ends up becoming more like the asthma medications or people who are maybe immunocompromised and have to receive steroids sure, sure, or other ones. So that then you get into a little bit of, well, we have to take this on a case by case basis. And usually most of the people who have those medical problems aren't competing in the Olympics. (laughs) So it doesn't often come up. Okay. So to close out our doping for the gold episode, I want to go back to one of the most famous dopers, at least in America, and, and uh, I think worldwide, uh, which is a tour de France. And of course, I'm talking about Lance Armstrong.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 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 And for
3: him, we've which, got to talk about blood modulators.
2: By the way, by the way, I have to give him a ton of props for, you know, fighting tooth and nail that like, oh, I, I, I didn't. i swear to god and then of course admitting it and then showing up on that do you remember like that mockumentary that they made where they had him actually like talk in front of the camera
3: i don't but we're about to add another layer of the credit you're giving him yeah because oh, okay for some people this might make him a more admirable figure again. For others, it's going to make him a sadder, more pathetic figure. Okay. But let's okay. let's talk briefly about the drug that he used to dope. It wasn't even a drug. It was EPO, erythropoietin, which is a. Do you know what that does? It increases. We use it largely in dialysis or yeah. anemic patients to increase the amount of their red blood cells, so they can actually keep up with their body's needs.
2: Right. So erythropoietin is one of the substances made by your kidneys. I know a lot of people just think about their kidneys filtering stuff. They don't actually think about it as manufacturing and sending out hormones. But, uh, you know, our kidneys are responsible for processing and, and activating vitamin D. And then another thing that they do is they make this beautiful hormone called erythropoietin which stimulates our bone marrow to send out more red blood cells when we need it. And, you know, just like any of the other stuff we were talking about, you can take a little extra on the side if you need to.
3: <laughs> it is, and, you know, for for many years, remember, we started with, with a story of the 1930 Tour de France handbook saying, we're not going to provide you with drugs, just stop asking. And then we reach a point where one of the most commonly abused drugs in the Tour de France is this EPO. So All these athletes are prepared to cheat and risk blood clots because if you have, if you're anemic, you do need all those extra blood cells Mm -hmm. just to achieve normality. But if you're already walking around with a normal level of hemoglobin and you start stuffing extra blood cells into your vessels, well, now you're at risk of something getting stuck and creating a blood clot. And depending where that blood clot is, you could suffer strokes. You could have blood clots in your lungs, which suddenly drastically impact your breathing and a lot of potentially fatal health problems. And this is something that a ton of cyclists from multiple countries were prepared to risk just to get a few places further up in this massive uh, Tour de France title.
2: Yeah, yeah. Be able to, you know, every time you breathe, you know, you're giving your blood a chance to like absorb more oxygen per milliliter. And deliver that to your tissues. The oxygen goes, helps power your muscle, you know, get your ATP going, all that fun stuff. And just whatever, incremental. Exactly what you're talking about, Josh. Just like a few extra, you know, meters per hour, however fast you pedal or whatever it is, without your muscles getting exhausted. Um, Not super brilliant. I, I, you know.
3: Well... Here's the thing. Okay. Okay. This has been a drug of choice for years and years and years. Okay. But no one's ever actually bothered to scientifically test it to see (sighs) if those claims are supported.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it's difficult to run actual performance enhancement trials, so to speak, because, I mean, you're... You're not showing any beneficence, you know, in terms of running those types of uh, biomedical studies, right? So it wouldn't be super ethical to kind of do that. That's where you're wrong.
3: (laughs) This study, actually, a relatively recent study, sought to do just that and find out are these people cheating? Are they even taking a drug that works for them? And they took two groups of amateur cyclists. They were given the hormone, EPO, or a placebo over an eight-week period, and okay. then asked to cycle 110 kilometers before they then raced up Mount Ventoux, one of the toughest challenges in the Tour de France that regularly shows up. So they said, oh, "All so right, they, we're going
2: to." They they used a real world. Kind of thing, rather than doing a simulated course or something like that. Yeah,
3: they took a bunch of cyclists and said, we're going to give half of you this drug that, you know, well, you know, a bunch of you used anyway. We're going to give half of you a placebo. Then we're going to make you ride just a small portion of the Tour de France, you know, 110 kilometers and then race up this really challenging thing. And then just see, you know, how you guys do. Okay. Okay. gotcha. Tragically. The drug made zero difference to cyclist performance Whoa. in the race. So, although, although it uh-huh. did have a noticeable effect in laboratory fitness tests when you're testing somebody to the point of exhaustion.
2: Oh, OK. So when you're OK, super controlled environment and you push them to their very, very edge, then it it made somewhat of a, a difference there. But in terms of, like, real-world usability, it was just like, nah.
3: <laughs> Most of the cyclists didn't seem to notice any boost to their training. They all continued to train as they normally had. Okay, okay. Nine, nine cyclists out of the 23 in the EPO group, the intervention uh-huh. group, nine of them thought they had been given the drug. Only six in the placebo group thought they had been given the drug. So, you know, people had no clue whether or not they were on it.
2: Sure. Um, okay. So the, I mean, this is a well-controlled, like, blinded study. So that's a really you know. good
3: study for a performance-enhancing drug. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> okay. I did. I didn't think
2: you could run this type of a trial. This is pretty good. I like. For it. those oh, of
3: you curious, the yeah. placebo group's average time was an hour and forty minutes up Mount Vento, and mm-hmm. that was about seventeen seconds faster than the EPO group. Oh no. <laughs> um. Sorry. So. Oh, so dear. this was. Okay. So this was in the Lancet
2: around. Ah! (laughs) So this was talking about Lance sorry
3: right right <laughs> so this was in the lancet and the researcher said we've basically I just, showed I,
2: I want i want the actual investigators to be sitting there uh you know like around a table like very important in suits and ties and that kind of a thing it's like oh doctor we've completed this very important research are we ready for publication yes yes i thought we'd go to the uh, new england journal of medicine and one of the other is just like Really? <laughs> well, what if we went into a Lancet?
3: <laughs> That'd be a very Armstrong move. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody
2: so, claps, like, Slow claps that guy out of the room. Boom. Publication.
3: So... The researchers noted the goal of using EPO in professional sports is to improve performance during road races, not to improve okay. performance during maximal exercise tests. Sure. And right, we have right, right. demonstrated that it provides zero to minimal to zero benefit during exercise tests in performance settings. Uh, however, it. it does provide enhanced performance in laboratory based maximal exercise. So these guys yeah. could stress <laughs> test all day. Sure, Uh, which means that Armstrong's seven Tour de France wins, which made him the most successful cyclist in the history, Mm -hmm. and then the biggest disgrace when he lost all of them after the investigation. Right. He lost that for taking a drug that didn't even work, which means at the end of it, he did earn all of those (laughs) races on his own ability and then just threw it away.
2: Oh, no. Well, even more so, which kind of is heartbreaking because of the data you talked about, is that he might have even gotten there faster if he had just like (laughs) avoided the EPO or like taken a placebo, like a known, you know, to lose
3: lose your career for something that doesn't even work. Oh, that Uh, that
2: is heartbreaking, man. And
3: that. Is that brings us to the end of the episode. And oh. once again, I would like to make the pitch that most of our athletes are, by and large, freaks of nature and bred yep. to. <laughs> show us the limits of human performance. Let's add drugs back into all what? the Olympic events. Just lift the bands, yeah, lead. And this will lead to the development of not only new kinds of drugs once the gates are lifted, because all the pharmaceutical companies will be will open up brand new research and development things. And think if we allow a few athletes to push the limits of human performance by taking whatever drugs they feel like taking. Yeah. What kind of medical benefits are going to trickle down to us in the normal world if we go the opposite direction? Instead of finding a heart failure drug that maybe improves figure skating performance, imagine a figure skating drug that all of a sudden can be used on an asthmatic or a archery enhancing drug that helps an Alzheimer's patient. Okay. Um, yep. What are going to be the side effects if we open up sports performance? I'm
0: just, I'm just yeah. putting
3: it out there. <laughs>
2: Well, and I I know we talked about this before, and that was kind of the interesting thing is that unfortunately, we're in this world right now where drug research is profit driven. I often lament that, you know, antibiotic development is kind of slow because, The companies don't want to do it because they say, oh, we won't make a profit because they spend 10 years going through trials. And then by the end of it, when the antibiotic is actually ready, it's maybe going to be decent for like a decade. And then, you know, after that, there's resistance and they can't make money. So it's all these kind of sad things. But
3: Think of the speed in drug development. If you knew, oh, shit, we have to get these performance enhancers ready within four years time.
2: Right, right, right. And then, you know, they're just kind of off label or whatever available to use for all kinds of other trials and stuff. And, you know, the the way that they trial tested and kind of fast track these drugs would be quicker, as long as as long as we kept good, good safety and ethical practices in place, I I gotta say. And then absolutely, you're right, it would be holy cow, you know, such and such is useful for, you know, swimming really fast and, you know, Parkinson's disease, you know, stopping a tremor. And, you know, all of a sudden you have a Parkinson's cure that would have never been invented because it would have taken decades, but it took like a couple of years because people wanted to make their millions. I'm not saying it's a great motivation. I would rather have the Shangri-La of biomedical scientists actually making things just for the sake of, like, I love making things. that's
3: why you're an optimist and I'm a cynic, and together we make the world go round.
2: (laughs) Absolutely right. So
3: that's it for this week, folks. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. Now, a brief heads up. Uh, We are going to be moving our RSS feed soon. So uh, this is the first of the episodes as we slowly transition away from Squarespace. So our new website is travelmedicinepodcast.com. Nice and simple. And the new RSS is travelmedicinepodcast.com slash feed. (laughs) I
2: think our, uh, you know, we, we still will be sending our episodes to your, you know, Apple podcasts and those kind of things you know we'll we'll reassign that and make sure that it gets sent to the same exact you know subscription that all of you guys love, so you don't have to change your apps.
3: But be aware that there there might be a brief transitional period over the next month or so as we move our episodes to our new web host uh, where things will drop off. So new website, new feed, still love all your comments, questions, and feedback. As always, this show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links to further reading if you're interested in this topic or any others. Feel free to dig through our archives. And until next time, as always... Wear a mask. Oh wait, they lifted those. I have to come up with a new outro. <laughs> Until next time, as always, wash your hands, get your shot, stay safe, and honestly, let's just say this week, don't travel anywhere, guys. The world is crazy yeah. right now.
1: <laughs> just, just
3: stay at home for a yeah. week. I'll just... be back with some other, you know, terrible yeah. advice next time, and more fun <laughs> history.
2: Yeah, well, uh, travel in the the oceans of your imagination, and let us be your pilots. How about that?
3: Oh, I like that. I (laughs) like that. Let us be your performance-enhanced (laughs) pilots.
2: I just went from a sailing metaphor to a flying one.
3: Well, that's what travel's all about.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. I messed up my own metaphor, but
3: you can tell it's going to be a real clean transition folks (laughs) so until next time yeah until next time as always Mm -hmm. happy travels
2: happy travels guys